happened this time last year, walking through the book of Mark. Remember the video of the guy from uh, Amazon Prime um, reciting scriptures by memory? He was walking around the stage, um, kind of sweaty as the season <laughs> progressed because he recites all of Mark and we were listening to certain portions of, about, uh, of it each week. Um, he was able to do this in part um, because Mark gives very scant amount of details. Um, Mark is a book that um, just lets you know the basics. And um, until you get to Holy Week and crucifixion, um, then the book of Mark slows way down. We have been reading from the book of Luke, and I've not really kind of set the stage for us talking about the book of Luke. Um, we started back at Christmas, actually, and in the season of Advent, looking at the book of Luke. And um, and we're con- we will be continuing in that. Um, Luke, unlike Mark, gives us lots of details. Um, Luke uses the stories that are found in Matthew and Mark, but follows the rules of Greek history writing um, more than than Matthew or John. Um, The Gospel of Luke and um, the Book of Acts are meant to be books that are read together. They were written by the same author. In the book of Acts, the author uses the language we uh, or we language um, and includes himself in the group of Paul's companions uh, when we get to Acts 16. There is also in the book of Acts, uh, Luke, a physician who's referred to, but not in the third person, um, like the other Luke back in uh, Acts 16. So there's some question as to whether Luke was a physician, um, even though it seems a little unlikely that in one place he would refer to himself as Luke, um, kind of like the rock, um, and then in another place uh, referred to himself as we as a part of the group. Um, But the language that we find in both Luke and Acts um, are very much the language that would have been used of like a physician of that day. The cultural backgrounds study Bible says early Christian tradition was unanimous that Luke was the author of Acts and the gospel that now bears Luke's name. Further, early Christians who credited Luke as the author had little reason to choose Luke, who was not a major figure. Um, If they lacked concrete tradition that he was the author, um, they wouldn't have done so. When scholars examine sources from both the Greco-Roman world, they usually start with external evidence. In this case, um, tradition in second century Christian writers. And then they check internal evidence. The tradition of Luke's authorship passes both tests. Luke was adapting Mark's work for a little more educated Greek audience, and it was probably written somewhere between the year 60 and 70. Luke's major theme is present. that's present um, is, is to present Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord, whose life, death, and resurrection make salvation available to all people everywhere. The book of Luke has already included the great story of Jesus' birth that we read during Advent and Christmas. Uh, It's the one that's more likely read because it presents presents more of the details. It tells more of the story of Jesus' birth. 
Two weeks ago, we read lengthy proclamations by John the Baptist, um, where there was also just a small mention of Jesus's baptism. At the end of Luke 3, just before what we read, uh, we're given a list of Jesus's ancestry. And chapter 4 then starts with his temptation in the desert. Luke wants us to know that before Jesus starts his ministry, he has been vetted both by his genealogy, by his DNA and the line from which he comes, um, his family of origin, and he's also been physically and spiritually tested by the devil. He is good all the way around and ready for what lies ahead. Before the story in the boat today, Jesus has preached and either been completely rejected or praised by everyone. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, just before this story, uh, we have a story of Jesus leaving the temple where he had been preaching and going to the home of Simon. This Simon that's in the same boat in our story. Um who we will later know in the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament as Simon Peter or just Peter. At the home of Simon, he heals his mother-in-law and word begins to spread about this miracle. And so all those who need healing are brought to Jesus. And Simon is watching all of this. He is present for all of it. The next day we're told that Jesus wanted to get away from the crowds, but they're following him. And so he just keeps preaching. At some point during this season of preaching around town, he's down by Lake Gennesaret and the crowds are pushing in on him. And so he climbs into a boat. The picturesque heart-shaped lake uh, is set among the hills in northern Israel. It's one of the lowest lying bodies of water on earth. It's a freshwater sea. It's... Um, and uh, it has just a maximum depth of 43 meters. Um, it is also named in other parts as the Sea of Tiberias. Um, it's fed by the Jordan River and it's drained by it. Um, the lake has served as Israel's chief water re reservoir, but its useless, its usefulness has become uselessness as it's um, been limited by a falling water level. Uh, there's some interesting pictures out there. If you're into that kind of thing, you can look it up online. Um, in modern times, tourism has become the major local industry. But in Jesus's time, it was fishing with 230 boats regularly working the lake and their catch um, dried and exported all over the Roman world. Jesus made this fishing town of Capernaum the center of his itinerant ministry in Galilee, using the lake, its boats, and its shores to spread the good news. He calmed a storm there. He walked on the water, probably even swam in the lake. Um, but what made this so unique was because it's the lowest point at the lake, the shoreline actually creates like an amphitheater kind of setting. And so if somebody is down at the bottom, you can hear their message. And so Jesus would have spoken, would have been able to speak to large crowds and large crowds would have been able to hear his words. It is interesting that we are not given the words of Jesus in the story. We don't have the content of the sermon that he's preaching. If you were writing a story about the Son of God, and you wanted to make sure that we got the point, as Luke does, 
wouldn't you share the powerful words that he's sharing with the crowds? What is making all of these people follow him around? What's, what's that sermon about? Why are they following him? What is he saying? It's got to be good for the crowds to keep following him, to have followed him down to the lake. But that's not the point of the story. What we know is that they pull in an abundance of fish. Not having any fish from the night before would have been a huge deal for them. Now they can eat. They can sell. Others can eat. We have the words of Jesus telling Peter to put the nets in. And then we have him giving Peter and the others a deeper calling. Those are the only words of Jesus that we have here. The climax of the story is not the abundance miracle. It's the miracle of the call of Peter, James, and John. They could have said, you know what? There's there's so much fish here. Like there's we've got so much. Why why would we leave this right now? We're we're good. Thank you. Um, you've answered our prayers. Our deepest desire now is just to sit here with all of these fish. <laughs> But seriously, the miracle that has just happened could have changed their lives already. And they could have just been happy with that. It makes me think about that game show that is really old, but has come back. Let's make a deal. Um, You're given certain prizes and then you get to make a deal and trade in whatever prize you've already won or just been given for whatever is behind the next curtain. And you could wind up trading your toothbrush for a fancy, shiny new car. Or you could get a donkey pulling a wooden cart. (laughs) You never knew what was behind the curtain. You never know if you should give up what you have in your hands to see if you could get something better. Or if in the process you lose everything that you already have. I think about this in this moment of scripture. Peter and the others have just pulled in this huge haul of fish that would have taken care of their families, other families, all of those that were depending on them. Everyone in the crowd saw this miracle happen. They would be the talk of the town. And now they're being asked to leave it all behind and follow this man for whatever reason they don't know. But think about for a moment what they would have missed. They would have missed the years they spent following Jesus, learning from him. They would have missed the up-close personal view of all those miracles. They would have missed being witness to his awful death. But they also would have missed the resurrection of seeing the body of Jesus come back to life and hang out with them. They would have missed being part of the early church and all of the incredible things that happened as the movement of those who were called of the way long before the Mandalorian was. They would have missed all of that. They would have missed seeing Pentecost and the different languages they all started speaking. They would have missed the miracles they would have performed and and the crowds that would continue coming to hear their messages the stories of Jesus. They wouldn't have missed seeing churches start all over their known territories. We would have missed them, especially Peter and his voice in the starting of the early church. Peter was vital as the Christian church made huge decisions about allowing those who were not Jewish 
to be part of the faith? And then what faith to actually live by? What did that look like? He literally became the rock, as Jesus would call him later, the basis on which the Christian church was built. And it all comes back to this moment of whether he would say yes to what Jesus was calling him to. He sat there, surrounded by an abundance of smelly fish. One moment, he's thinking about what he's going to do with this amazing haul, and then he's being invited into something else entirely. This is the moment. What surrounds you? I am guessing it is not a pile of smelly fish. But what is it that makes you comfortable? Where is your abundance that causes you to say, thanks, but I'll just, I'll just keep what I've got. Maybe it's an abundance of friends and family, gifts that you don't use freely. Maybe it's financial resources. Maybe it is just kindness, love, and vulnerability. Maybe it's sharing about Mosaic because that would be too awkward if other people started joining us. We all have those things that make us comfortable sitting right where we are. The miracle is not just how God provides for us, but it is how God keeps calling us. This morning, we are surrounded by the things that make us comfortable make us feel like we're living in abundance. But Jesus is calling us to something more. Let's make a deal, he says. And you cannot even begin to imagine what you will miss out on if you say no. Thank you, but I'll just stay right here. It will not be easy. Sometimes you will get the donkey in the cart but you will also see and experience things you could have never imagined. And the world will never be the same because you said yes. Jesus's hand is extended and he's calling. What will you do? Will you pray with me?